Good morning, everyone. We're living in unprecedented days, and many are facing difficulties they could not have begun to imagine only a few short weeks ago. At the turn of 2020, who could have envisaged a world dominated by face masks and social distancing, where grandparents could no longer safely hug their own grandchildren? A new world initially characterized by panic buying and empty shelves, where school pupils are now advised it's okay to throw a ball, but not to catch one. A world where working from home is the new norm for many. Meeting up in person is the exception, a rare and special treat. A world where friends can meet up in specified numbers, in the park or in a garden, at a safe distance of six foot apart, but must not touch, where televised sporting events resume in part, but with no spectators at the ground. A sanitized world where church is now largely online, and in those countries where church gatherings are permitted, attendance is massively reduced and singing prohibited on medical grounds. A world where many citizens choose to stay largely self-contained within their own four walls, glued to the breaking news updates on TV for fear of infection or worse. Last weekend, I read this in The Guardian in one of their more cheerful and uplifting articles. We have entered it says, the age of catastrophes. They will be universal in effect because the problems of the world are now universal. So thou, thus spoke the secular, thus speak now the secular prophets of the day. Sometimes it feels as though the world is being shaken now as never before. In a world dominated by fear, what is the Christian response, and what does God have to say? What do we, the church, have to offer to a frightened and timmering world as this shaking, riots, protests, COVID-19, fear, panic, economic and financial uncertainty, people worried about their jobs, many unable even to see their families, jolts us globally as never before. Where is the glory of God in the midst of the suffering and the fear we see all around us as the world rocks, it seems, from one crisis to another? Is God really in control? Can we trust in Him? Since time immemorial, human beings have been fascinated by the question of who God is and by the very thought of His presence and His glory. Many have experienced the strong desire to know God personally in some way. Is this possible? The Westminster Shorter Catechism, written in 1647, emphasized the giving of glory to God. It says this, 
the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. But what is the glory of God? And what difference could this possibly make to our lives when we have more than enough real problems and difficulties to contend with? Back in the 4th century AD, Augustine of Hippo, also known as St. Augustine, said this, because the face of God is so lovely, my brothers and sisters, so beautiful, once you have seen it, nothing else can give you pleasure. It will give insatiable satisfaction of which we will never tire. We shall always be hungry and always have our fill. More recently, John Piper described the glory of God in these terms. The glory of God is the manifest beauty of His holiness. Woe, so the glory of God is the beauty of God, the beauty of holiness. I believe we're getting close. Piper continues, God's glory is the source and sum of all full and lasting joy. In Hebrews 12, 18 to 29, we catch a glimpse, however, of quite how terrifying the very thought of approaching the presence and the glory of God was to Moses and his followers back in Old Testament days, long before Jesus came to save us. They all knew deep down that they were, much like ourselves, sinful creatures by nature, and that God alone was holy God. The law, as delivered by God to Moses, had to be kept perfectly to meet God's holy standard of perfection. But there was a problem. No one who had ever lived was either perfect or sinless. There was only ever to be one truly perfect, sinless man, our perfect, sinless Savior, Jesus Christ. Our perfect sacrifice. The Israelites in Moses' day knew that to enter fully into God's presence as they then were, without a lasting covering for their sin, and back in those days they had none, was simply not possible. The writer to the Hebrews describes their dilemma in the following terms and contrasts the fear and terror of believers in the days of Moses with the freedom and joy afforded to us by grace through faith in our Lord Jesus, who has paid the price for all our transgressions and has made a way at the cross for us to be reconciled to a relationship of genuine intimacy with our Creator. Glory be to God. We read as follows, Hebrews 12, 18 to 29. 
you. And he's speaking here to the New Testament believers in Jesus. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that even Moses himself said, I am trembling with fear. But you, as a disciple of Jesus, have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come, and isn't this wonderful news, to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirit of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant who intercedes for you night and day because he loves you, and to the sprinkled blood of Christ that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks, note here the stern terms of this warning, if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? We are being cautioned here. This grace on offer to us by the blood of Christ is not something to be taken lightly. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, an unshakable kingdom in a shaking world. Let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. Amen. For our God is a consuming fire. The sight of God's glory on Mount Horeb, otherwise known as Sinai, was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. Hebrews 12, 21. We are no longer living in the fearful days of Moses, where the gathered throng at the foot of Mount Sinai lived in mortal terror of the glory of God. It's insightful to listen in as Moses, con as Moses comforts the people in Exodus 20, 18 to 20. We read this. When all the people witnessed the thunder and the lightning, the sounding of the ram's horn and the mountain enveloped in smoke. 
they trembled and stood at a distance. Speak to us yourself and we will listen, they said to Moses. But do not let God speak to us or we will die. Do not be afraid, Moses replied, for God has come to test you so that the fear of him may be before you to keep you from sinning. And the people stood at a distance as Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. Whoa. In contrast, we as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, trusting in him and in his perfect sacrifice for us on the cross, are welcome to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Boldly indeed we may approach the throne of grace, Hebrews 4.16, not because of anything special that we have done or ever could have done, but because of Jesus. Thank you, Father, for your precious Son, our Savior and King. And what is our response? We read, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. We offer to the shaken world and to the lost a great deal more than words alone, more than religion has to offer, more than any amount of hand-wringing or theological musing. Jesus himself is real and alive today. He promises now to live in our hearts as we trust in him. Ephesians 3.17. He knocks now at the very door of your heart and says, I desire to sup with you. In a world experiencing great shaking, Jesus promises to those who follow him an unshakable kingdom. There's a message of hope in the name of Jesus that the world so desperately needs to hear right now, now more than ever. We, as believers in Jesus, are sent out into the world around us with a mandate, a mandate, not a suggestion, a mandate to share and proclaim the good news of the gospel. Christ within the hope of glory. Colossians 1.27 The one whose perfect love casts out all fear. 1 John 4.18 Lives within. Ephesians 3.17 How truly wonderful and breathtaking are we communicating this living hope effectively to our non-Christian friends and neighbors? Are we the children of God, introducing our friends to Jesus. Not just telling them about him, but introducing them to him. The mediator between man and God, night and day, the one in whom we live and move and have our being, lives in us and is knocking now at the door of the hearts of those we know and love. Wow, we have this message of hope in a world on edge. 
in 1 Kings 19, 11 to 13, we come across something really special. God's revelation of himself personally to the prophet Elijah. Now, Elijah had done great exploits, performed great exploits for God. But we find him here on the run and in fear of his life from mortal enemies with a price on his head, feeling he's let God down. God directs him to Mount Horeb or Sinai, the mountain of God, where Moses had received the Ten Commandments back in Exodus 29. This sounds to me more like a scary place to be sent rather than a safe refuge from the coming storm. This, was, this didn't sound to me like center parks. Mount Horeb or Sinai represents the holiness and the glory of God. Elijah was terrified. He headed straight for the caves and sought out, I imagine, the deepest, darkest corner where he could hide like a wounded cat from all and sundry until the danger passed. That's how I see it. He was feeling like a failure and couldn't face the presence of the God he loved. He took shelter in a grotty cave. I picture him hiding from his many foes in mortal fear of his life. God, however, saw Elijah in his brokenness and his pain and God spoke to him. For me, this passage is incredibly moving and shows the father heart of God. We read in this chapter these words, then God said to Elijah, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. Can you imagine being commanded to do this when you're already in terror of your life? And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire a still small voice. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle, still terrified, and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. I picture him here stepping gingerly out of the cave, too afraid to step out boldly into God's presence, shaken no doubt by all the wind, the earthquake, the fire, the noise and the destruction, as his mountain of fear is blown apart, terrified by the sudden manifestation of God's awesome glory. Suddenly, a voice came to him, wearied, and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? God is saying to Elijah, My child, why are you afraid? Don't you know that I am with you and I love you? These things I do for you to fight for you because I love you. The battle is mine, Elijah, says the Lord. 
Don't you know? I am with you now and always. Come to me. Do we face mountains of fear, anger, hopelessness, bitterness, and regret? Do we live with bitterness, disappointment, and rejection? The pain and the shame of the past. I believe God is saying to us today, come out of the cave like Elijah. Stand on top of the mountain before him. Be bold. Trust in him. Allow God to be God in your crisis today. Stop trying to work everything out where it all went wrong, where I've failed, who I've let down, who let me down, my many disappointments and regrets. Give it all to God like Elijah and watch God move. The God whose still small voice whispered to Elijah so intimately at Mount Horeb or Sinai. In 1 Kings 19, as he revealed himself personally to him in power and blew apart his mountains of fear and doubt, that same God whispers to you now and says, Fear be gone in Jesus' name. Pain be gone in Jesus' name. Be healed and set free now as you rest in the arms of our Savior. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul speaks of the greater glory of the new covenant, the glory of that which lasts, a covenant not of the letter but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 to 18. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters of stone at Mount Sinai, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, the law we could not keep in our own strength, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? Mount Zion. For what was, glory, what was glorious has no glory now in comparison, in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Paul goes on, we are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It's not been, yet been removed, because only in Christ is the veil taken away. Only in Christ is the veil taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But, and hear this, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who 
with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Will we, his church, his bride, turn now to the Lord today and ask him to take the veil away that we, with unveiled faces, might behold him in his glory and live for him alone. This led me to reflect on the contrast between the face of Moses in the Old Testament and the face of Jesus Christ in the New. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6, we read, For God, who said, Let there be light in the darkness, has made the light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. Notice this, friends. The Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, even as it was fading as he came back down the mountain from his meetings with God. But we're invited to turn and look now in our hearts to Jesus and to behold him right now as we give our lives to him. The glory of God that's seen in the face of Jesus Christ. How we long to see you, Lord Jesus, truly face to face. This is the Christian hope and joy. How thrilling, Lord, to borrow from Paul, Corinthians 13, 12, and pray. For now we see through a glass darkly as in a cloudy mirror. But then, Lord, when you return face to face, for now we know in part, but then shall we know you, Lord, even also as we are known to you. Maranatha, Lord Jesus, come soon, we pray, we worship you. Hallelujah. Amen. The 18th century hymn writer, Augustus Montague Toplady, and there's a name to conjure with, author of Rock of Ages, penned these words more than 200 years ago that sum up for me the contrast between law and grace. The terrors of law and of God with me have, can have nothing to do. My Savior's obedience and blood hide all my transgressions from view. The work which his goodness began, the arm of his strength will complete. His promise is yea and amen and never was forfeited yet. My name from the palms of his hands, eternity will not erase. Impressed on his heart it remains in marks of indelible grace. How wonderful to read in Isaiah 49, this promise to Zion and by extension to us, the believing church. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Another ancient hymn writer puts it like this. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever 
lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Behold him there, the risen lamb, my perfect spotless righteousness, the great unchangeable I am, the king of glory and of grace. One in himself I cannot die. My soul is purchased by his blood. Hallelujah. My life is hid with Christ on high, with Christ my Savior and my God. The same Lord Jesus who came to die for us while we were yet sinners, as Spurgeon put it, to set us free from bondage to the power of sin and death, that we might be reconciled to God. The same Lord Jesus who spoke to us these words in Luke 12, 32, do not be afraid, little flock, because your Father delights to give you the kingdom. The same Lord Jesus who loves you more than you could ever begin to think or imagine whispers gently to you now, as he whispered to Elijah on Mount Horeb or Sinai in the midst of the storm. And he says now to you, trust in me, John 14, 1. He loves you and cares for you and for all your family. He knows you inside out and whispers to you now, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man or woman hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and be with him and will sup with him and he with me. Revelation 3.20. Our Lord Jesus does not only offer to show us the way to God. He is the way, the only way. He does not just tell us the truth. He is the truth. He not only promises to direct us towards a better and more fulfilling life, wise words. He offers more. He himself is that new and abundant life. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the resurrection and the life. And now today, the resurrection and the life offers to us resurrection life. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Will we follow him? This is the burning question facing us today. In Jesus, we can know now the true intimacy. We can know true intimacy with God. In a way, Moses could not have dreamt of, nor, his, fall, nor his, um, his friends at the foot of the mountain. They could not have dreamt of this. 
We can know true intimacy with God. In contrast to the prospect of terror at the very thought of encountering the presence of holy God, we, even we, sinners such as we were, now saved by grace as we trust in Him, we are now invited to approach our Father in heaven with confidence and joy in the throne room as beloved children of the King of glory. Will you trust in Him? We read this wonderful promise in Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus, and Paul loved the people in the church in Ephesus, and he prayed for them with these words. He said this, because of Christ and our faith in Him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence at the throne of grace. So please don't lose heart. And he was referring to the suffering that he was going through, and he didn't want them to think, this is what happens if you follow Jesus, and really, do we want to do that? He wanted to know that God had a plan, and he was not letting Paul down or anyone down, but God has a plan, and to trust in him. And Paul said this. He said, he told them he was praying for them, and he said this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his inner strength, through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Isn't this such a wonderful promise of Scripture. Paul goes on, your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong, and may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is His love. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete with all the fullness, all the fullness of life, all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. You'll be made complete with power that comes from God and all the fullness of life. This is what Paul was praying for. For in Ephesians, for the, for the people in the church in Ephesus. And then he, he goes on. Now all glory to God who is able this is a prayer with expectation. God is able through His mighty work at work within us. This is not an abstract idea. This is God's power within us as we trust in Jesus. To, God is able to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to Him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever and ever. Amen. Amen. What a wonderful prayer. My prayer for all who hear this message today is that we too might come to know and love and follow the Lord in this way, the way Paul talks about. Such intimacy with God now, this side of glory, is not only possible, this way of living is because of Jesus. As Watchman Nee once pointed out in one of his books, the normal, the, it is the normal Christian life. Such intimacy with God is the normal Christian life. Wow. This is what Christ died for on the cross. 
It was for the great joy set before him that our Lord endured the pain, the shame, the agony, and the separation of the cross. And in his high priestly prayer in John 17, the Lord cries out that we, his church, corporately and individually, each one of us might enter fully now, today, into this new life in the Spirit that we might now begin to see Him in His glory, the glory He had with the Father before the foundation of the world, that we might not only be reconciled unto God for some future age in paradise, pie in the sky when we die, but that we, His church, might come to know Him and to live in Him now in this way, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a new way of living, life in the glory, life with and for our Savior and King. Eternal life starts now, invited into His presence as we fall to our knees in repentance and adoration and live in Him and share His love with all those we meet and know and care for. Lord, that we would die to self to love and follow you. Lord, that your glory would be the sole desire of our heart. Lord, that we might not simply make plans and then ask you in your providence to bless them, but rather seek first your face and your will and seek to follow in your steps and your steps and not our own. Your word says, Lord, whatever you ask for in my name, it will be given unto you. We ask, Lord, now for more of you and for your glory, Lord, to fill the earth in the days ahead as the waters, as the waters cover the sea. And so we pray. Thank you, Father, for allowing us to see another day and for making a way in Jesus, even when all hope was gone and there seemed to be no way. We give you praise, Father God, for supplying our daily bread and for keeping a roof over our heads. Thank you for your many blessings. Sometimes, Lord, the road we're on can become so, so rough, life so confusing, and the hills we climb so hard, the hills we face so hard to climb, so many mountains in our way, mountains of fear, disappointment, bitterness, shame and regret, so much, Lord God, we simply cannot fathom or understand. So often we just don't know what to do. We thank you, Father God, for your great compassion, that though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, Yet your unfailing love for us will not be shaken, nor your covenant of peace with those who choose to trust in you be removed. We thank you that there is no fear in love, but that your perfect love, Lord God, casts out all fear. That in your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand, our pleasures forevermore. We thank you for your 
Word, Lord God. We thank you, Father, for Jesus, the living Word of God. Lord Jesus, we look now to you. We thank you for the cross. We thank you that you have made a way where there was none. We thank you, Lord, that you are the way, the truth, and the life, that you promised to make known to us the path of life. Help us, Lord, to look to you now, King of glory. Help us to live in the freedom that you have won for us on the cross. Help us to know you more and more each day by the Holy Spirit. Lord, help us. Help us, Lord Jesus, to follow you and you alone each step of the way. Whatever the mountains that may lie ahead in life, whatever the storms, the trials, the shaking all around, let us find refuge in you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that your word says, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. Thank you, Lord, that your name speaks life into the darkest situation. We choose, Lord Jesus, now to trust in you. You promise to be with us through the storm. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We choose this day to trust in you. Amen and amen and amen. Thank you, Lord God, that the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear you, that the fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied and will not be visited by harm. Thank you, Lord God, that you are close to the downtrodden and dejected like Elijah in the cave in 1 Kings, and that you, in your great love, comfort now all those who are crushed in spirit. Psalm 34, 18. In your love, Lord, as your beloved children, we have nothing to fear. Thank you, Lord, that your word says that we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear. What can mere man do to me? Thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying for our sin in our place, and that as we trust in you, our lives are now hidden with Christ in God. And that your word says that when Christ, who is our life, appears, then will we also appear with him in glory. What a truly breathtaking promise of Scripture. What a truly breathtaking God. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that our new life is in you, hidden with Christ in God, is our safe space, our refuge, our delight, Lord, is in you. In you, Lord God, all fear is gone. Help us to rest in you, even in the midst of the storm. Thank you, Lord God, 
light of the world, that as we trust in you, you shine within our hearts to reveal to us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, would you do this now? Lord, as we turn to you, would you reveal to us, Lord, as we trust in the Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, would you reveal to us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, let your glory shine in us today, your church. Help us to live in the freedom, the joy, and the power of your resurrection life, no longer in bondage to sin and death, but set free by the power of the cross. Thank you, Father God, that you have highly exalted Jesus and given him the name which is above all names, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, all those in heaven, all those on earth, and all those under the earth, and that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Lord, live in us, we pray. We bow the knee to you alone. Reign in us, Lord, now and always. Take control. We yield, Lord, now to you. Lead us, Lord. We worship you. We choose this day to follow you. Amen and amen and amen. On the final day When the trumpet sounds And the Son of Man returns Every eye shall see Every tongue confess That Jesus Christ is Lord Some will shout with joy some will fall in fear, all will bow before the throne. All the saints of old will be raised to life, God's people
coming out Are we safe in Christ to stand before the throne?